like getting some dueling banjos up here or something, amen? Thank you, Tristan, appreciate that, worship band, choir, for leading us in worship today. It's so good to see you. Everybody say hello to everybody on Facebook Live. Hello. Great to see everybody here today. Paul and Katie Schultz back with us after traveling down south, enjoying all that warm weather. And, you know, it's not a bad day today here, all right? And we have people who are here from Alaska and Brazil and with uh, Jeannie and Gerald Smith. Give all of them a hand, all right? Teeks here and all the family. Great to see you guys today, amen? All righty. And the Crutchers have family all the way from Central City, Kentucky, amen? Yeah. All right. Anybody else here come from further than, than Central City? All right. All right. Great to see everybody today. You may have noticed the God sightings over there, 2020. Those are ones that you've given to us. We have posted. We're going to continue collecting those. And so that will change uh, as time goes on. But I hope you'll uh, check those out and, uh, and add to those. And we'll uh, put those up as you add to those. I, I've got a God sighting I want to read to you today from a young man we baptized here probably two or three months ago. Some of you may remember Tim Chuzis. He was baptized by us and, and he was immediately to go into rehab and he is there and many of you have been either writing him, praying for him. We've given him a little bit of money to kind of help him with some snacks and stuff over there. But he wrote this and wanted this to be sent to you. So I'm going to read it to you. He says, I need you to thank the church for me, if you could. First off, for the monetary donation. And secondly, for all the mail from people I've received over time. I get more mail than any two people put together. And it greatly touches my heart to know that so many people care about me that they love and accept me for who I was. It makes me want to get better even more than in the beginning. I have broken down crying multiple times over how blessed I truly am for all of this support. I love and miss the church and all that are in it. Amen? Amen. What a great testimony. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness. You have been so, so good to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity now to look at your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. How many of you have ever gotten stuck? A lot of you have. Probably not like Timothy Cipriani. 46-year-old Timothy Cipriani got stuck, get this, in an air ventilation duct when he tried to break into a pizza parlor. How long was he in there? Long enough to get caught by the police. If you go to the internet, you can find his picture covered with soot on his mugshot. Here's another. On June 12, 2017, get this, 12 people got stuck upside down 
while riding a roller coaster at an amusement park in Arkansas. They weren't just stuck for three or four minutes. They were stuck for 30 minutes. Can you imagine that? You didn't even want to ride the roller coaster. You're afraid of heights. But your friends talked you into it. You got on there. You're scared out of your mind. And now you're stuck upside down 150 feet in the air. This one's probably my favorite. These are all true stories, by the way. 21-year-old Ben Carpenter got the ride of his lifetime when his electric wheelchair got stuck while crossing the street in front of a tractor-trailer truck that was stopped. His handle on his wheelchair got stuck in there, turned it up around, so he's facing forward. This truck is behind him, and the truck begins to move. It doesn't just go 5 or 10 or 15 feet. It doesn't just go 500 feet. It lit at least two miles pushing this man in the wheelchair, and the truck driver never even noticed him. Not only that, he was traveling at speeds up to 50 miles per hour. Can you imagine that ride? Wow. He wasn't hurt, thankfully. The wheels on his wheelchair were damaged a little. But other than that, he was pretty good. Have you ever been stuck? For the next several weeks, we're going to talk about a church that was anything but stuck. And it wasn't because they were super talented or incredibly wealthy or they had a rock and worship band, or they had this incredible light show with a fog machine, and it wasn't because they were old school and they went traditional, piano, organ, no hymnals, no strings. They didn't even have church buildings back then. They didn't have some PhD trained super communicator, motivator, pastor. I'll tell you what they did have. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. They had the Lord God, the God who is unstoppable. And because their God was unstoppable, they were unstoppable. Despite all the opposition from the religious leaders of their day, who had the leaders, many of them thrown in jail, some of them even killed for their faith. And yet no one could stop what God was doing in and through their lives. These leaders of this church were poor and unimpressive, many of them. Some fishermen, one tax collector, Others whose occupations were perhaps not significant enough to mention. And yet God used them to turn the world upside down. They tried to stop this church. 
but they could not stop it. By God's grace and by his plan and by the Holy Spirit's power, they were unstoppable. The book of Acts was actually written by a doctor. Did you know that? Dr. Luke, who was a medical physician. Yes, it's the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he's writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. Say it with me. Theophilus. Not a very common name in our world today. But do you know what Theophilus means? It means lover of God or friend of God or one who is loved by God. Some scholars believe that Theophilus wasn't a real person, but just writing to a group of people who were loved by God. However, most scholars would say, and I think I would agree, Theophilus was a real person. But we don't know anything about him. Some believe that he was a wealthy financial supporter of the Apostle Paul. Others believe that he was a political leader in their day, and some even believe that he was Paul's defense lawyer in Rome. I don't know about any of those things, but I do know that he was a man whose name meant lover of God. If people were to describe you today, this morning, not simply by your given name, but by your life, What would people say about you? Would they say you're a lover of God, a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, and a lover of people? After all, those are the two great commands. Some of you may feel stuck today. You might be stuck in a difficult marriage. You might be stuck in a dysfunctional family. You might be stuck in a job that's going nowhere. Or you might be stuck in discouragement and and defeat. Let me encourage you. You've come to the right place today. Because this morning and in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about a church in the New Testament and a people in the Bible who even though their circumstances were difficult, their God was still at work. And the God that they serve is the same God that you serve today. Are you ready? Let's get started. Luke, the human author of the book of Acts, begins like this. In my first book, better known to us as the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let's do a quick synopsis of the gospel. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He grew up in a simple carpenter's home. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He began his earthly ministry at about the age of 30, and had a a thriving ministry for about three and a half years. He healed the sick, he made the lame to walk, even raised the dead. But some people did not like him, especially the religious leaders of 
Jesus' day. They were very jealous, and they were so angry with Jesus and his popularity with the common people that they would fight and argue and, and try to, to uh, stop Jesus, but they couldn't stop him. And so finally, they decided that Jesus must die. And so they got these trumped-up charges, and they had him arrested, and they would even have him nailed to a cross and crucified. What they did not realize is this was all part of God's plan. Jesus Christ would be crucified for the sins of the world. He was buried, and three days later, you know what happened. He rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. After the resurrection, and before Jesus ascended to heaven, he made several appearances. In fact, Jesus would appear to over 500 witnesses over a 40-day period. But sometimes, perhaps more often than not, he would appear to a small group of disciples. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with him, while staying with his disciples, he, that's Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The disciples already knew the good news. They had just witnessed the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The disciples knew the good news. However, they would need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim the good news. And so do we. You see, you and I have a responsibility, an obligation, and a privilege to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? But you cannot nor can I, none of us can save anybody. None of us can cause anyone to be born again. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. None of us can deliver someone from death to life. None of us can deliver anyone from being dead in their sins to be alive in Jesus Christ. None of us can give anyone the gift of eternal life one day life with God in heaven. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. But as we'll see in just a moment, He wants to use you. And He wants to use me as His witnesses. Go to verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that even the apostles, they had a political view of the kingdom of God. They were hoping that Jesus would be a Messiah who would set up a kingdom here on this earth. 
They wanted no part of this crucifixion business. They wanted a king who was going to rule and reign on the earth, and, and they were probably hoping to get in on that. In fact, one day, uh, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and says, when you enter your kingdom, can Jimmy be on one side and Johnny on the other? I don't think she's hoping for a spiritual kingdom there. I think she's hoping for a literal, a literal physical kingdom. And she is hoping for this for her sons. You might remember the feeding of the 5,000 in the Bible. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus the women and the children. Maybe 15,000 people or more with one little boy's lunch. And the people were so enamored. So in awe of what Jesus had done, they wanted to make him their king right there on the spot. They were hoping that this miracle-working Jesus would be a political leader who would deliver them from Rome. They tried to make Jesus their king. But Jesus would have none of that because he did not come to be that kind of king. He came to rule in the hearts and the lives of people, people like you and people like me. And so he escaped from them. He got in a boat and he left because he did not come to be that kind of a king, at least not yet. That would come later. We're still waiting for it, but it is coming. Do you believe that? Even though Jesus had already died on the cross and resurrected from the grave, the disciples are still a bit confused. So they asked the Lord Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're hoping maybe Jesus is going to bring it about now. Verse 7. He, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. The disciples weren't wrong with their concept of a literal earthly kingdom. What they were wrong about was the timing of it. One day, Jesus will set up an earthly kingdom, will he not? One day, Jesus Christ is coming back again. One day, the lion will lie down by the lamb. One day, Jesus Christ will reign on the earth for a thousand years and millennium. One day, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, will reign forever and ever. Amen? Jesus Christ is coming back again. Do you believe that? Absolutely. But Jesus also said, nobody knows the time. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. And we might add, nobody knows the month or the year or the decade or the century. And sometimes if we're not careful, we spend more time trying to figure out when we think Jesus is coming back than we do living as though he could come back at any time, at any moment, on any day. Jesus Christ could come back today. Did you believe that? Do you believe that? He could come back tomorrow. He could come back next week. He might not come back for the next 200 years. Nobody knows when he's coming back. Jesus told his disciples, it's not for you to know that. 
Because here's what we do know. We know he's coming back. And we know we need to be ready. And we know that we need to help others to be ready as well. That's why we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 8 is a contrast with verse 7. Jesus told his disciples, it's not for you to focus on the times or seasons. The Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, instead of worrying about times and dates, here's what you need to do. First of all, depend on God's power. When Jesus was living on earth, he limited himself to one place at a time. When the Holy Spirit came to earth, he would fill all of Jesus' disciples with his power. Now, we can't do anything of eternal value apart from the power of God. We understand connecting power in the physical, material world. How many of you have a TV set in your house? About 12 of you. Probably all of us do, do we not? How many of you have ever wanted to turn on the TV, but you couldn't find the remote? It's really frustrating, is it not? I know you knew where it was. You had it last, you know, back and forth. Why do you need the remote? To turn on the TV, correct? What if that remote control had no batteries? You wouldn't have any power to turn on the TV right? How many of you own a car or ever ride in a car? A few more of you. How many of you have ever been in a car and you tried to start the car, just kind of went click, click, and it wouldn't start? It's happened to all of us. Why? Because the battery was dead. You see, the car needs that battery's power in order to start. How many of you own a power saw? All right. Afraid to raise your hand. We have a power saw at my house. I don't use it, but my wife does. She's pretty good at it. How about a vacuum cleaner? Anybody have a vacuum cleaner at your house? I even use that occasionally. But if you were to be using that power saw and it got unplugged, what would happen? It would stop running immediately. If you were to be using that vacuum cleaner and you got a little too far away from the socket and the cord wasn't long enough to reach, it would come unplugged. And what would happen? It would stop running. We understand that in the physical world. But what we forget many times is that in the spiritual world, in God's kingdom, we have to operate by the power of God. We are totally dependent upon God's power. 
for everything that we do, if it's going to make a difference in God's kingdom. This power wasn't simply for the sake of having power. A lot of people in our world want power just because they want power. Political power, financial power, cultural power, relational power. That's not the purpose of this power here in the book of Acts. No, this is, first of all, power for living. Power for living the life that God has given you to live for His glory. The power that is mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. You have everything you need to live the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now, that does not mean we can be lazy about it because two verses later, Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. But all of this depends on God's power. Then here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is speaking specifically about a purpose. The purpose of mission. Go to verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses, by the power of the Holy Spirit in this world. Now, witness is a key word in the book of Acts. It is used 29 times as either a noun or verb. A witness is someone who tells about what he has seen and heard. We've all witnessed different things in our lives, and that's what we're doing as a witness. We're telling, these disciples were telling about what they had seen and what they would heard. The Greek word translated witness here actually means one who dies for his faith. It gives us our word martyr, someone who dies for the faith. In the New Testament, that was often the price of witnessing. If you're going to tell other people about Jesus, they would need to be prepared to be persecuted, maybe thrown in jail, maybe even killed for their faith. In some parts of the world, that's still true. Thankfully, in America, it isn't yet. But you may have to give up some things in order to follow Jesus. In order to follow Jesus, you may have to, to give up a relationship that is not healthy for you spiritually. In order to follow Jesus, you might have to give up a, a business partnership when they're wanting to make business decisions that are compromising honesty and integrity and truth. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you may not be able to do some of the things that your friends want to do, and they may not want to be your friend anymore. It's not because you're critical or judging. It's just you have to follow God, even though that means other people aren't going to like that. It might be unpopular. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Jesus does not promise us that following him is a super easy, comfortable, no problems life. No, Jesus does say, if you follow me, it's probably not going to be easy. Guarantee it. But he does say, if you follow me, it'll be the best life you could possibly have because you'll be partnering with the God of the universe, who is a God who can do more than you can ask or think or even imagine. He's that kind of God. And he told his disciples to start in Jerusalem. And so this morning, I want to spend just two or three minutes about giving you a challenge to start in your Jerusalem. Right here in our own community or in your community, if you happen to live in Alaska or Brazil or not here. And we're going to do something specific related to that to give you a tool, okay? Starting next Sunday, it's going to hopefully happen next Sunday. Uh, I just found out they may not get in. These tokens may not get in next by next Sunday, but I'm hoping they will. I'm thinking they will. I'm praying they will. I thought they were when I was preparing the sermon anyway. But anyway, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. Next Sunday, if we have, if not, it'll be the next Sunday. I'm going to have about 100 of these cups lined up all across the stage here. And if you're sitting fairly close to me, you can see it says Northside Baptist Church on it. Okay, it's got our logo over there. Inside of these cups, there are tokens, okay? From the Vibe Coffee Shop downtown. Anybody here have know where the Vibe is? Ever been to the Vibe? Speaking of that, does anybody know what this Friday is? Raise your hand, guys. Pretend like you know. Valentine's Day. I, Dave Duda I knew. He can tell you how many Valentine's Days he's had since he met Debbie. I can tell you how many I forgot. Okay, that's not good. Just kidding. But anyway, we usually do something nice for people for Valentine's Day. I wore a tie for my wife today because it's Valentine's Day. She likes ties. But I want to encourage you to do something nice, kind, even loving for the community as we think about God's love, the greatest love of all, and our command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to have about 100 of these cups lined up here, and I want you to take one of these cups, or two or three if you like, and I want you to take them to a business in our community. And there'll be about 50 of these uh, little vibe tokens in there. It says vibe on one side and north side on the other side. And what they're for is if you take one of these and down to the vibe, you get a free cup of coffee or hot chocolate or specialty coffee. So it's really pretty cool. Anybody want one right now? There you go. Oh, I missed. Way back in the back. Here we go. Oh, bad shot. Sorry. One more. All right. There you go. Sorry, I missed you. A little closer one. Let me tell you a secret. I don't even like coffee. 
closest I come to coffee is sugar-free French vanilla cappuccino at the Speedway. Okay, that's it. I'm trying to wean myself off of those because I really like them. But Speedway is probably not going to do this because it's a chain. But anyway, my hope and my desire is to get more than 100 cups out there. We've already put 10 or 15 out there, and people have had amazing responses. I, I was talking to somebody over at the nursing home the other day, and uh, I said, do you drink coffee? They said, sure. I said, would you like one of these um, little tokens from the Vibe? It's for free coffee. She said, well, sure. And then the girl sitting next to her said, can I have one? The other sitting next to her said, can I have one? It's like, okay, here, here, here. Then somebody asked me, do you own the Vibe? It's like, no, I don't own the Vibe. I'm a pastor at Northside Baptist Church. We're trying to show people the love of Jesus. People have asked me, why are you doing this? I tell them. We want people to know that God loves them and that we love them. So if people ask you, and they will, just tell them that. And we're going to put them in businesses all over the community. You can take one to your workplace. Maybe set it on your desk if you have a little bit of traffic in there. Now, don't just take one for yourself every day because you like to go to the vibe, okay? But you could take somebody to coffee, and it could be a conversation starter. When you talk to people, say, why are you doing this? There's your opportunity. I was talking to somebody at another nursing home. I go to a lot of nursing homes. And uh, I said, would you guys be willing to put one of these cups out there and let people have uh, these uh, vibe tokens? And so we talked for a while, and she said, that is so nice. Why are you doing that? I said, well, we want to share the love of God with people and let them know that Jesus cares about them. And I said, do you go to church anywhere? She says, no, but I'm thinking about it. I was over at Feeding America. How many of you have ever been to Feeding America? Some of you were there with us last week. I'm always talking to people, inviting people to come to church, et cetera. Nobody ever responds. They're just nice. But I gave away five or six or seven or eight of these tokens. Somebody emailed me last week and said, hey, I checked out the website. looks really good. By the way, have you seen our website lately? It's really looking good. But they said, you know, it sounded really interesting. I think they might come. And the reason why I want people to come is not just so we can have more people, but so we can share the gospel with people. Because people need Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Let's hurry up. We're almost done. Verse 8, Jesus continues. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It started in Jerusalem, right there in their own community. But it didn't stop in Jerusalem. It continued beyond Jerusalem to Judea. Judea was the region in which Jerusalem was located. It continued into Samaria. If you're a Jew, you don't like Samaritans. You can't stand Samaritans. When you hear the word Samaritan, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. It's like, ugh, I can't stand those people. Jesus said, take the gospel to them as well. And don't just stop there. He said, take the gospel to all the world. There is a world out there that's lost and dying, and they need Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility to go and tell and to support people like Daniel and Megan and other missionaries who are going across the world 
world, turning their own lives upside down so that other people's lives can be upside down for the glory of Jesus Christ. When you do that, when I do that, we do that together, watch out world. Because we serve an unstoppable God. A God who can do more than we can ask or think or even imagine. Let's follow Him. Let's serve Him. Let's let our light shine. Let's be His witnesses in this world. Are you ready?